These are my confessions, the iced coffee confessions with Suzette. So on this episode of the Iced Coffee Confessions, I've invited my good friend Courtney Comer into the conversation. Say hello, Courtney. Hello, hello, hello. Courtney is a proud Texan from the great city of Houston, Texas, as my friend Beyonce would say. And <laughs> this episode of the podcast, I'm actually going to flip the script and have Courtney do what many of you have probably wished you could do, ask Suzette anything. So, Courtney, <laughs> welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. I'm honored that you're here. Hey. I'm a little afraid. <laughs> I, don't know, <laughs> I have no clue afraid. what she's about to ask me. <laughs> there's, there's nothing to be afraid of here. This is going to be fun. I am honored to have the privilege of being the first to interview the Suzette Robotham on her own iced coffee confession. So we're just going to have fun, girl. Thank you, Courtney. I only trust Courtney because by, by day she is a strategic communication strategist. And so <laughs> she, she won't muddle my brand or shame my mama. More important, Hopefully. she won't shame my mama. <laughs> we'll try not to shame you today, mom. <laughs> and indeed, if there's one thing, I always respect the parents, respect the mamas. <laughs> All right, Courtney, I'm ready. All right. Well, hey, I mean, we're going to do this like good old fashioned old school interview style. So how are you doing today, Miss Suzette? <laughs> I'm skirt. No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. It's another day. I'm grateful, thankful, blessed, black, magical, all of those wonderful things that I am daily. Yes. Well, hey, so I know we are on your podcast, the Ice Coffee Confessions, and you're a few episodes in at this point, but, you know, realizing that some folks who are listening may or may not have heard prior episodes. So I want to take it back to the birth of this idea. And when you had the idea to start Iced Coffee Confessions, tell me a little bit about what you hope to accomplish through this platform and through this podcast. Wow. If you take it all the way back, so when I first started these, it was a way for me to express to my friends on Instagram the joy in seeing this beautiful black man that gets Starbucks coffee every morning in my Starbucks. He's just like this beautiful, like bearded, wonderful man that does not know who I am. I've never spoken to him. I probably avert like <laughs> eye contact when I see him. I'm just like, oh. Every single time I see him, but it really started as like a, not a lust fest, but like me, like really just gushing over mm -hmm. this man that in my Alicia Keys voice, he don't know my name. Right. And so with mm -hmm. time I began to like, and around the time I started doing it too, I think Instagram was still giving you like maybe 15 to 30 seconds. So they weren't long clips. And then as Instagram began to transition to the one minute long 60 second clips, I was like, oh, this is an opportunity to just express more of what I'm thinking or more of what I'm feeling. And so just took the opportunity to really share whatever was top of mind for me for that day from I'm really like fed up with the state of the world right now. You know, people need to know how to stay in their lanes to then like just gushing over every man I thought was fine. Right. So yeah. I <laughs> so right now, everybody knows I have the biggest crush. On Winston C. Duke. If anybody knows Winston, in my stellar voice, Winston. If anybody knows Winston, <laughs> I could 
make many from, ice from coffee. Black Panther. Winston from Black Panther. Yes, yes. And Baku from in Black all his Panther. six five glory. And yes. all of that fine chocolate, <laughs> thick brother season glory. But so the the, 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 yep. <laughs> the Instagram platform has very much remained the things that are top of mind for me. But I am actually very much a storyteller. Very, like, intrigued by, but invested in creating spaces where folks are able to express their truest and most authentic selves and finding points of connection through storytelling with folks. And so as I thought about the evolution of the iced coffee confession and bringing it from Instagram to my podcast now, um... I wanted to make much more of a genuine connection between the people that were watching me, the things that were top of mind for me, longer conversations and dialogues. And so that is how this all came to be. Dope. I love it. I love it. So one thing I want to talk about that I could not, I would be remiss if I did not talk to you about, um, and this is because I obviously know you personally, Mm -hmm. and I know some of what you stand for, and you are a champion for authenticity and vulnerability. Yes. So why is that so important to you? I think it's threefold. I think the first part is I think you only get to living your best life by being really clear about who you are, what motivates you, what's important to you, um, knowing your passions, being deeply intertwined with your purpose at leading a purposeful life. So for me, like your best life is very much attached to being able to be your best self. I think the second part of it is I have had the freedom and have been encouraged throughout my entire life to be me and to be my best self. And I think at this point in my journey, I couldn't imagine not knowing who I am as a person, knowing what I'm passionate about, knowing what I need, knowing what I don't need, although I'm figuring out still a lot of what I don't need, but have had a journey and a life that has allowed me to be able to also walk that walk. And I think the last piece of it is, is we don't do enough connecting of our experiences to build bonds. And I've said this before, Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability being the bridge to connection. And I think that there's just an inherent responsibility for those of us that are able to be vulnerable to create those bridges so that people can be much more expressive of their truth, of the space that they live in, so that they can get to the point of being back to where we started with, with being their best selves. And I feel like sometimes that feels like maybe a little lofty and like, well, what is she even talking about? Like... (laughs) Is that possible? And I think it is, right? Because even like in the recent in the recent episodes where I've been talking about like egg freezing, like there are women that like froze their eggs a year ago that are like, I'm so glad that you're talking about this because I didn't have a space where I could actually talk about it, right? And so mm-hmm. it's building bridges and building connections and creating opportunity for openness for folks. And so I want to do more of that. Okay. And then we're definitely going to come back and talk about the freezing eggs. And I know that was a recent episode. And for anybody who hasn't heard it, they need to go back and listen to episode zero two. But we're going to come back to that. (laughs) You know, you mentioned Brene Brown, and I'm familiar with Brene, love her and what she talks about. But for those who are less familiar, vulnerable is a word that kind of has a negative connotation to it. Mm -hmm. So how do we overcome this? And even to take it a step further with Brene you know, she talks a lot about shame as well. So when you take vulnerability and shame and try to make them something that we should be more empowered by versus like, oh, I don't want to, I got to hold something back or like, oh, we're talking about vulnerability. I don't want to open myself up. You know, all that to say, you know, how do you think we really tackle those issues and overcome them so that we can, to what you just said, be our best selves and walk in our purpose and get out of our own way, essentially? 
So the first thing I would ask anybody is if you are with a group of people where you feel like you cannot be vulnerable with them and be honest and be open and be transparent, then why are you running with that group of people? <laughs> right? Like, I think that there is one, like, vulnerability for me starts from a place of self-awareness. And I think sometimes we want to get to the state of just being expressive without owning that we have 100% accountability for being like, just aware of who we are and super clear about like, how am I impacting this situation? What are my responsibilities in this situation? What part did I play in this situation? And I use the example, for instance, of like a breakup, like where you want to like cheer your girlfriend up, like, yeah, girl, I'm so sorry. He was such a jerk. And I feel like my younger self would have that conversation. My older self is much more like, but if we come from a lens of self-awareness, like what role did you play in your breakup? (laughs) And you might not have played any role, but I think like it's, in part, in order to get to a place of vulnerability, you actually have to start from a place of being like deeply self-aware of just who you are and all of those other great things. Um, I think you have to be within kind of that self-awareness. You have to be willing to take a risk. So like, I know that Brene does talk about shame, but vulnerability is actually like a risk. And so it's getting comfortable with what might happen from being open. But it's also to me like, Being okay with like, you just, I mean, I think sometimes people hesitate at being vulnerable because you presuppose what the outcome is going to be. And Mm -hmm. I think that we are a society that is so hell bent on driving the outcome that we miss the entire process. And so like, I just don't assume that like with me being vulnerable, people are going to reject me, right? Like my assumption is that I'm going to be vulnerable and go through the process to see what the reaction is on the Mm -hmm. other side of it. And so it's also like, for me, like vulnerability, a part of that is letting go of the outcome <laughs> and mm-hmm. like going through like the process um, and appreciating whatever it is that you're to learn from the process and being vulnerable. I also would say that vulnerability takes practice. So you're not just going to be like mm-hmm. vulnerable with every single person that you meet, right? Like Courtney. <laughs> Nor should you. Nor should you be. Nor should you, right? Yeah. Like, but if you start from a place of being self-aware, you can make a decision about, is this the situation that I need to be vulnerable in? And so that's why I would say, like, for me, like, self-awareness is very foundational. But then I also feel like going back to what I said about, like, the people you're around, like, if you do find yourself in a situation where you are not able to be your full, whole, authentic selves, especially with people in your personal circle, then you need to reevaluate and change some things. Mm. I mean, I think that's interesting, though, because we are in a space, though, where there's so much of, you know, Oh, level up or get surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, more accomplished than you, all of that to not feel any level of pressure to be at that level that they're at. Even if you kind of don't really feel that internally, you want to create a perception that you are and all of that. So I think it kind of creates a a challenging space potentially for people. Uh I agree. Right. But there's that saying that comparison is a thief of joy. And I think that again, it takes a level of are you being an activist in your life? Or are you f- <laughs> allowing life to yeah. like let you float through it? And mm-hmm. I think that what's really important to me is like, I want a strong tribe of people that are supportive of me, but more importantly, supportive of themselves and have like the kind of like core foundation in terms of like really being thoughtful, really being engaged, really being open, really being aware, really being intentional, really like leveraging and driving forward with intuition, being each other's cheerleaders. Like, I don't want a shallow tribe. (laughs) Yeah. And again, not that that, like, comes perfectly. Like, there are imperfections. Like, there is somebody that's going to get on your damn nerves. But, like, I cheerlead for every single, or or three, right? But, like, I cheerlead (laughs) for every single person in my group, and I expect 
or would want to be in a group where people are also cheerleading and loving on me, right? And so it's, again, being, like, super thoughtful and intentional about, like, is this the group of people that is going to feed my soul in the way that I, I feed back? And so that's why I always say I'm thankful for the people that I get to love as well as that love me because that's my 360. So you mentioned intention, which is, like, a word. I'll go out so far as to say it's my word of 2018. How do you, how does Suzette live and move with intention. I've had to slow down (laughs) just a little bit, which some people will argue that I have not slowed down. But for me, I have slowed down and I have also downsized. And what I mean by that is like, I actually take time to like really think through what it is I want and then set the intention with, and this might seem like super like mystical and like super gaudy, but like, setting the intention with God and setting the intention with the universe about what it is that I want and then being patient for that. Cause patience for years was like not my virtue. Like mm-hmm. I would tell the universe I want X, Y, Z. And if it didn't happen tomorrow, the universe had failed me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's not how God works. Like God gives you what you need when it is time and in between and always like leading in a life of like faith. What I've learned is you have to just be clear with your intentions from jump because the universe listens to what you do and don't say. What was the second part? Did you ask me, Courtney? Um, <laughs> I, said, how do you, I said, how do you live and move with intention? Right, so that, right girl, because you don't get old and blanket. But so like the first piece <laughs> is like one, like setting a foundation with like he who gives me life and strength, which is God. Um, it's learning to be patient and to wait and to slow down and give the universe the opportunity to react because everything doesn't necessarily happen the way you want it to. It happens the way you need it to. And sometimes there is a far better answer in a slow no than a fast yes. Because again, to that part that we talked about, like appreciating the process, there are so many different beautiful pieces of the process that grow you and mature you and actually give you a whole lot of what you needed, even if the outcome is not what you wanted. Although you should like state to universe, this is like what I ultimately want if it's for my higher and greater good. I think the other thing is, and it goes back to kind of like the the recurring theme here is I talked a little bit about downsizing. I think people are enamored with large circles and I'm like, I'm close to 40. Like I may know like a lot of people, but like my close personal network has to be tight because I have to trust that those people understand and know me and get and understand what it is I need to that it's there. Right. So that's in my support system. And like, I love a lot of people and like, it's not that thing about like, oh, friends, associates and acquaintances. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not there, but like my, like my inner kind of tribe, the people that feed me, the people that like give me life, the people that I give life back to is small because I want to be intentional about how I build in that group. Okay. So with that though, in a process of downsizing, how do you go about removing people from your life? What does that process look for you? For people who, who are walking around knowing I've got maybe toxic people in my circle or there are people around me who I don't feel comfortable being vulnerable around, what would you say about how to go about the downsizing process? So I'm a Scorpio. So that's like really <laughs> hard. So I'm like one of those people who's like, if I don't fool with you, I don't fool with you. Um, mm-hmm. Like some things are not worth the conversation because they were never that deep anyway. I do think like if you see a situation where you need to end a long-term friendship or relationship with someone because it is not to the greater good of either of you, it it warrants or is worth a conversation. But I'll be honest, and this is a horrible answer. Like I can be cordial and polite, but 
I'm one of those people that is like the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And I'd be indifference mm-hmm. like a motherfucker. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Such a Scorpio. Such a Scorpio. Like, um, and you didn't exist. <laughs> but also, right. too, right? Like, we're at the point of life where it's like reason, season, lifetime. And some people are meant to be like a part of your longer term journey. Like, there are people. That, like, if they disappear from my life, I would be heartbroken. And there are people that have disappeared from my life. They're like, oh, that was such a great season with that person. They don't need to come back. I will, you know, go up the block if I see them and turn real fast and be like, ah, oh, I passed such and such. That was so nice seeing them. <laughs> but, or not. Or not. But, like, I think it's like knowing when something is a false attachment and letting and being okay with letting go. Mm, that's good. Very good. I got I got marinade on that. Like hashtag note to self. I'm I'm a I'm a Libra, so we we'll be trying to hold on or see the good and balance all the scales. We'll be trying to balance the, the scales. Like, do you realize yeah. that your scale is tilted all the way? Scale away. <laughs> your scale is broken, sister. That scale is broken. And so I want to not even fully shift gears, but maybe go back a little bit because we were talking about authenticity. Mm-hmm. And you know, one thing that stands out around the time I met you I remember you know one day it's like blue braids and then there's like purple hair and you you are just so comfortable in you and you you go against a lot of that shit you learn in school about how to be a professional and function in the workspace yet at the same time though anyone who interacts with you will see and know and it's clear that you are very well respected in what you do you are called upon from places people around the country, around the world, um, because you've done speaking engagements outside of the U.S. So all of that to say, how is it that you are really able to go against the grain and be you in all of your glory, but still (laughs) garner that the respect that you do in the workplace? I think that's a great question. So it's funny because I watch people watch me. So I'm like observant enough, like, yes, I'm engaged in the conversation, but I notice when people are looking at my nails, like, could her nails be any longer? Oh my gosh, she's got (laughs) purple and pink braids. Like people like taking in the person that is me. But I would say like, first and foremost, like the proof is always going to be in the product and my work speaks for itself. So I know that at the end of the day that there's typically a bottom line or some kind of greater goal or outcome, especially within the workplace that I'm accountable to. And so as long as I'm meeting that and conducting myself as a professional, who cares what I look like, right? And I think sometimes I actually like to go out of my way to do different stuff to prove the point of like, there is not a box (laughs) in which you'll fit like Black women. There should not be a box in which you fit Black women in our identity and how we carry ourselves and how we behave, because that's just not what I'm going to be about or not what I'm going to (laughs) do. So. But I also feel like, and it's something that my friend Jen and I have talked a lot about, but as a leader, like you have the responsibility to take risk and to use your voice to set the tone and to open up the lanes for other people. And I feel like, especially like working in the tech space, there's no difference to me between wearing yoga pants and wearing purple braids, right? Like it's a choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I choose for my accessory because that's what hair is to me, which is why my hair changes so often. Hair is an accessory, which compliments me. It's not simply me. And so that is the risk that I take so that other young women can come to work and be fully and wholly themselves. Now, I will say, like, that's also not been like a perfect journey because I grew up professionally in Atlanta public schools and like the Mm -hmm. upper echelons of administration. So I know that 
I had to wear suits. <laughs> I had to wear dresses, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, I'm not above the norms and or, you know, in some instances, the mores of an organization. But I also specifically now am able to choose when I do and do not want to engage in that, right? So, like, I think a traditional corporate environment will eat me alive. And so I don't choose to take a traditional corporate trajectory now either. So it's also being intentional about, like, what it is I need from the space and will that space allow me to drive forward in that way? Got it. You mentioned before about Uh self-awareness. I want to take a minute and talk about self-love. Okay. And how important is that, you know, and especially through the lens of a 30 plus year old, because it's something that may sound cliche or we talk about it all the time, but in part, it's a little inspired by a Will Smith IG story I was watching around, you know, self-love and self-discipline. But I think it's really critical right now when you talk about being authentic, being vulnerable, being self-aware, it kind of all is rooted or starts in a place of self-love. So Mm -hmm. what what are your thoughts on that phrase, if you will? You know, this is going to sound cornball as hell, but I think (laughs) (laughs) I think the most beautiful moment in the world was when Whitney Houston gave us the greatest love of all, which is like learning to love yourself. And I think that I've had a lifetime of really, one, getting to know who I am as a person and then loving who that person is. And I will say, like, you are absolutely right. Like, you can't be at a place of, well, being self-aware will help to get you to self-love. But, like, I think you have to still start from a place of, like, I don't even know if you could start from a place of, like, self-love. I think some of that is (laughs) Mm self-acceptance. And so it's self-acceptance. And then I would say then growing into a place of self-love. I would say like an important tenant for me for self-love is then the piece around ongoing like growth and development. Because what I will say irks me is when people are like, that's just how I am. And it's something that Mm. is detrimental to like building relationships or allowing for vulnerability or allowing for progress, right? Like this is just how I am (laughs) Mm -hmm. when it comes with the tension of you being able to grow and evolve is problematic for me. But I think that Honestly, like people like complain about like, oh, you know, I'm single and but I feel like the thing that I've appreciated about my singleness is that I've had time to really get to know and understand who I am as a woman, who I am as a daughter, who I am as a friend, who I am as a professional and knowing and understanding that have come to love and appreciate that person and Mm -hmm. know how I want that person to grow. And so I would say, yes, plus one to like self-love being like a a major part of all of those other pieces. But I would also say that self-love is an ongoing lifelong journey. All right. Well put. Thank you. Girl, you know how to get someone to help somebody get their whole life together. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I'm still trying to get my life together. I'm like, now that I love myself, where is my man, Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> right? Where, where you at? Where you at? Um, but, you know, so on that subject of self-love, I want to go back to something that, again, um, some of your followers may be aware of because you have shared it. But those who are new to the Suzette Robotham journey yes, um, is your weight loss surgery. Yes. To those who don't know, I'm going to ask a little bit of a question that I may have some insight into, um, so don't get caught up on how I word it. But if you're all about loving yourself, some might say, why weight loss surgery? What do you have to say to that? I would say, because I love myself, I had weight loss surgery because my doctor, who was a black woman in Nashville, looked me in my face and said, if you love yourself, you will stop killing yourself. (laughs) Right? So. 
like, if you look at old pictures of me, and I'll be honest, like, I'm not going to lie and say it's not hard to, like, look at some of those pictures. I'm like, damn, I didn't even realize. But for me, I was comfortable and confident as a full-figure woman, right? So, like, I'm six foot one. At my highest weight, I weighed 402.3 pounds. And you couldn't tell me nothing. Like, I was, I, you know, breast and, like, curves and big girl pride. And <laughs> whether or not men want to admit it, men love a big girl. Like, I was just always confident in who I was and loved who I was, right? And I think that's in part because of having, like, parents, especially my mother, just being encouraging of me, loving on me, telling me I was beautiful regardless. And so, like, it's not like I sought out weight loss surgery because I was like in dire need of like some kind of self-esteem boost. Because anybody who knew me at that point was like, I don't think Suzette don't love herself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be the exact opposite. Like wild child, happy, fun, loving, great. And in March 2010, I was in a situation where I was actually watching my father on the brink of death in a hospital in Atlanta, in ICU. His heart functionality was down to 20% on all kinds of machines and just confronted with like the mortality of a parent, but then also confronted with the fact that there's chronic health issues on my father's side of the family. So everything from high blood pressure to my grandmother died from complications of diabetes. Um, at the time that I was having weight loss surgery, I myself had polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I was walking around with a comorbidity. I was on the brink of high cholesterol. There's this marking on your neck. And I'm going to mispronounce it. It's like a nincrumor or something that I'd had multiple doctors tell me that um, was a sign of prediabetes. And so while I loved myself, I wasn't taking care of myself in a way that made sense. So especially like in trying to resolve the PCOS because I was taking metformin, it made me sick. I'd done stuff like Jenny Craig. Jenny Craig is expensive as hell. Um, That cost me $1,200 a month. It still didn't help. With, oh, <laughs> uh, listen, like wow. it's the it's the, because it, <laughs> it's the <laughs> things that they don't tell you about Jenny Craig, right? Like you have to buy, like in order to lose weight, you actually have to take in more calories and then decrease with time. So I was having to buy like twenty three hundred calories worth of food and then still go to the grocery store. So like mm. I tried other ways to lose weight because it was not lost on me that I had PCOS and that I did want to try to like beat kind of the the pre diabetic condition, mm-hmm. but. Again, it was like in March 2010, I was like, okay, like you are watching your father be sick. You know that you have issues. You try to lose weight. You're not doing it on your own, but okay, whatever. Like we'll figure it out. So I went to my, um, I got a new primary care physician in Nashville in June 2010. And I don't know why it took so long for me to get into her, but I finally went in to do my physical and everything. And she came in a room and she's like, sweetheart, like, don't talk to me about having kids. Don't talk to me about anything that's not related to you losing weight. And she was like, I'm telling you that if you don't lose this weight, your question is not if you'll have these issues that run in your family, it's when. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I actually recommend because, you know, based on like the history that you've submitted, I know you've tried to lose weight, that you do weight loss surgery, right? Because you need something that is a much more like physical intervention. So that was in June 2010. And I was kind of like, okay, like, I mean, I thought about weight loss surgery before, but I was like, you know, I ain't nobody doing that. I'll be fine. And like, when your doctor's like, you know, heifer, you gonna die. Look, sis, you gonna die. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Homegirl, you gonna die, right? And I'm like- Don't ask me no questions, you gonna die. (laughs) You know, to be honest, because of like 
And I'm very transparent about this. Like, I've always wanted to be a mother. For somebody to look at you and be like, don't even ever talk to me about motherhood at this weight. Right? Like, that was heartbreaking. I'm like, I'm standing in the way of future babies because I'm not losing this weight. I'm not necessarily compelled to, like, do anything to keep it off. Saw her in June because of insurance. So I'm someone that's always been blessed with, like, great insurance benefits. I'm going to admit it. But because of the insurance program I had, I was able to fast track through the bariatric center I went to in Nashville, which is also one of the top bariatric centers in the world, had my surgery scheduled by the end of July and had my surgery in July of 2011. And don't regret it, right? So like within the first five months of me having that surgery, I'd gone to the GYN to see if my hormones, like what was going on with my hormones and stuff, my PCOS, and my PCOS had resolved itself. So no longer pre-diabetic. I no longer have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, it's funny because my doctor in New York was like, oh, you have the hormones of a 25-year-old woman. I was like, thank you, doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so like a lot of the health concerns, my blood pressure is always perfect now. Like, I don't regret it. And I'm like, <laughs> it's one of those things like, mind your business. Like, did I ask you to like pay for my surgery? No. <laughs> and I know that's a little rude, right? But I think like people often also want to say that, oh, bariatric surgery is the easy way out. And it actually isn't like you actually have to go through psychological counseling before you do it. I was going to support groups. You have to reorient your thinking about food. There's also like the psychological impact of watching your body change in a super quick way. And it's like, it's taken me like, honestly, like years to like be used to being this size. Right. So Mm -hmm. I would never say that it's the easiest way out. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting. And the reason I mean, I even feel like obligated, not obligated, but like the need to ask it is because right now, as we all know, especially in this age of social media and Instagram and fitness is all the craze now when people are having their weight loss stories. And so often we see people say, you know, if they post their pictures on Instagram and it's like, oh, I lost this much weight, no surgeries, no wraps, no pills. And it's kind of like, what's wrong with that? They've attached this negative stigma to something that, as you put, you did and had to do to save your life. So I think we just have to share that more with people and kind of stop with like, kind of get it where you get it. Like, you know, (laughs) I'm not knocking your journey, girl. If I wrap saran wrap around my stomach every day does it matter if I'm healthier but with that why do you think that especially having gone through the journey that people feel that need to even have a commentary or a thought about it or why the negative stigma tied to something like a weight loss surgery which again is in many people's cases helping them to save their lives well the first is because they talked about Jesus (laughs) (laughs) Talk about Jesus, why wouldn't you expect them to talk about you? One, I think, too, like, (laughs) I think a few things. I think that we have to stop shaming people for making decisions about how they want to proceed with their lives. And so I think it's a really strong false assumption that people just decide I'm going to lose weight through weight loss surgery, right? Like, it actually is like a process and a lifelong process, right? Like, the thing that people don't realize is if you don't build a healthy relationship with your orientation toward food, you can gain that weight back. Like you will see within support groups at bariatric surgery centers, people that have had lap band or people that have had gastric sleeves have to go through revisions because they haven't resolved whatever the issue is is that they actually have with food. So Mm -hmm. I think the thing that having weight loss surgery did for me was it helped me to realize that my orientation toward food was I was an emotional eater. So instead Mm -hmm. of like dealing with things, 
my way out was let me eat something. Things are stressful. Let me eat something. Right. And with um, having the surgery and having like my entire like basically um, bariatric anatomy <laughs> rewired, I could not find solace in food. And so it then forces you or makes you to make deci- better decisions in terms of like, how do I take care of my mental health in a space where it what used to soothe me no longer can? And that's finding a therapist. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is like people be out here telling half stories about how they <laughs> lost weight. I think bariatric surgery is actually a lot more common than people want to admit now. And so there are people that have had some sort of revision, some sort of sleeve, some sort of something done that you just don't know about. But also, I'm like, why would you slice somebody for something that actually is like none of your business? (laughs) Right? Like, it just really is. Like, (laughs) it really is none of your I would hope that people make whatever decision is best for them at the time and they made it with an an open heart, an open mind, an educated heart, an educated mind, especially when it comes to bariatric surgery. But that's not your business. So if somebody has self-esteem issues and needs to lose weight because that's what's going to make them not commit suicide or, you know what I'm saying? Like there's depression yep. and all kinds of things associated with physical appearance and image. So like mind your business. It's not your business. Boom. So (laughs) you mentioned in that, I mean, enough said, honestly, you mentioned that while you were talking about your desire to have children. And again, so we're going to kind of come back to spoiler alert, episode two, (laughs) listen, listen about the journey of freezing eggs. (laughs) But for those, just as a preview slash spoiler alert, for those who didn't listen, let's talk about why you froze your eggs. Even as you spoke in this conversation about, you know, being intentional about what you want, putting it in the universe. And some people, again, freezing your eggs is one of those topics where everybody got an opinion. I want to tell you what you should do and shouldn't do with your body. Opinions are so like why assholes. You- oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you decide? And especially at this point, if whether this timing had anything to do with it, why did you decide to freeze your eggs? I'm 36. And. As much as I would like to think that I'm going to be a young Philly forever, like the reality is, right? Like science has proven that the older you get, the higher your risks are for just a host of things, including one, a decreased ability to produce eggs. Your egg quality decreases with time. And I did not, (laughs) I didn't put like a whole ton of thought into it. It just was like a practical decision of, okay, Suzette, like either you do this now or you don't do this now, right? And so I didn't have any barriers to keep me from doing it. So it just made sense to do it. Especially like I want to ensure that I give myself the best opportunity to become a mother. I am not by any means ready to be a mom right now, maybe like in a year or two. But I also realized that 38-year-old eggs have a different um, quality, quite honestly, than 36-year-old eggs, which is something I learned from my specialist. And so I just want to make sure that when I am ready for motherhood, that I'm optimizing what the outcome could potentially be. Because I could have those 10 eggs that I've harvested and are mature not react well to sperm at all, and then I have no kids. And the other thing about egg freezing, right, that nobody talks about is that the preference of the specialist is still that you try to have kids naturally. In my case, when I went in to see my specialist, and I'll get into this a little bit more when I go into part two of what my experience was. I had 19 follicles, which is above average for my age. So he's like, I'm not really concerned about your ability 
to get pregnant or to have kids. What we're trying to ensure is that you're like maximizing what all of your opportunities were. And so home, my homeboy was like, yo, me and my girl just didn't. I was like, crap, I guess I should finally do this too. So (laughs) (laughs) that is why I froze my eggs down. (laughs) So I'm no science expert or anything. So, but basically it sounds like your doctor told you you were real fertile and you you won't have no problem getting pregnant. So... (laughs) Let's talk dating. <laughs> oh God. Okay. <laughs> and go back to the know that, how will that how will that impact how you date? No, but in all seriousness, I mean we have to talk about dating as a 36-year-old woman. What is that like for you? Uh like how are you dating as a 36-year-old that potentially differs from how you maybe dated before if at all or are you just out here living your best oh life and it's hello oh. <laughs> you would save the hard questions for the end <laughs> dating that ain't hard this yes, is it hard is. I'm like, <laughs> this is hard so dating as a 36 year old is interesting one because i'm trying to date in the bay area and I feel like I have the same story. Why well, don't generalize black women and nor do I claim to represent the experiences of all black women. I would say a pretty common narrative amongst black women in the Bay Area is that it is extremely hard to date out here. Um, when you add in an environment that is heavily dependent on apps because of geography, when you add in that, you know, a lot of the black folks, if you are strictly trying to date black men, a lot of black folks come out here married. Um, as imports, when you add in like, and I mentioned this, like the geography. And so trying to navigate living in San Jose, trying to maybe potentially date somebody in San Francisco or Oakland, the Bay Area has been a bit of a love drought. <laughs> and I say that with Jess, but like, I, I find that to be like hella true for me and a lot of <laughs> other women. I don't know, like maybe it's the traditionalist in me, like the old school player in me that's like, God, I am not going to meet my boys on an app. Like it's one, but I'll be honest, like dudes are not really checking for me on the app. And so I'm like, okay, so I ain't going to find my man on the app out here. I personally, I don't care what city I'm in. I just don't really believe that's how I'm going to meet my significant other. I'll with you on that one. (laughs) But to your question, I try to be like a little bit more intentional about how I'm spending my time and who I'm spending my time with. and. When we talked about like false attachments earlier, it's like being better about like not attaching myself to a man that has not shown me that he has earned that type of attachment. And I think like that takes work and it takes time because I feel like I've also just met some like really great guys that weren't meant for me. And so for me, a piece of it is like accepting the beauty of what that situation was alongside accepting what the reality is. And so not doing a ton of dating in the Bay Area. I also think it's been really hard to convince men to do long distance dating. For instance, it's like different trying to date somebody that lives in Charlotte while you live in New York than trying to date somebody that lives in New York while you live in California. I think what I've seen happen is like dudes will be interested when I'm in their locale. But when I leave or they realize or it hits them that, oh, yeah, she lives lives 3000 miles away. They're like, "Eh, all right, sis, Uh, (laughs) hit me up. When you're in town. Holla at me next time you're in town. (laughs) Exactly. Like, okay, girl, we'll get some drinks the next time you're on this coast. So some of that has played into it, right? Because I think it's also very hard navigating the getting to know you process with someone that you have to get to know across a different time zone, across thousands of miles, across like a whole host of things. So um, that has been interesting. Also, like not trying to waste my time. 
I think in my 20s and like early 30s, it's okay to like try a whole bunch of different stuff. But I think I'm also a lot more clearer now on like the type of man I would like to like spend the rest of my life with. And to your question, like it actually is really important to me that my significant other be interested in and wanting to parent a child because I got some eggs now sitting somewhere that need to be fertilized. (laughs) So somebody gonna have to make a baby. But no, like family is really important to me and raising a happy and healthy family with a partner is important to me. Um, And my psychic in New Orleans told me I was going to get married. So I'm like, girl, when did you say he was going to show up? Because that hasn't happened yet. But I'm also not in a rush for that either. Like I am patiently waiting for whatever, like my life love partner is supposed to be and who it's supposed to be. I'm pretty clear I have not met him yet. I've seen components (laughs) of what I would like in him, but he has not come yet. Winston's coming. He gonna show up at your doorstep soon, girl. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, I must ask then, since you touched on it, and you know, you never know who's listening to this iced coffee confessions. What are you looking for in your man? This is your moment. Put it out in the universe. Um, Make the vision plain. What are you looking for in a man? I didn't tell that now. I mean, if you know it, it's out. You do not have to, you know, by any means. Listen, I am looking for a man that is sent from God, and either I find him or he finds me. Because I think sometimes people are like he gonna find me. I'm like, girl, not if you sit in the house. So we will That's find each other. <laughs> if it's up to my mama, he'll be from the line of David, line of King David. Not all King right, David, David yes. Mama. Uh, my mom, my mom was always like, you got to find a man from the line of David. I'm like, okay, mom. <laughs> right, girl. <laughs> if you can pinpoint directly who comes from Jesus' lineage. Ancestry.com. Uh, you know, <laughs> okay. Like, can I get your 23 and me results? <laughs> this don't look Judean to me. This is not Jewish. Uh, <laughs> are you a Pharaoh descent? Um, but I would say like, I don't want to box it in, right? I feel like I'll probably know it when I feel it um, and experience it. Because also, I'm like, I don't want to get caught up in Winston Duke and Winston, you be a douche. But I don't think you a douche. You don't look like a douche. You look like you'd be like a cuddly, <laughs> lovey man. But again, like, I think I'll know it when I see it, feel it, and experience it. It has to be like a man that's like holy himself too, right? Like, I'm not a half, I'm a whole. And so, mm-hmm. like, at this point in my journey, I'm not looking for somebody to complete me. I'm looking for someone to compliment that I can also compliment. And so, like, we can journey together or we can journey apart. But at the end of the day, we always come back together and it's beautiful and it's loving. Um, Absolutely someone that has known success for himself, um, whatever that success might look like. So and can then appreciate, like, having a successful woman, because, you know, that's a whole nother conversation for another iced coffee confession. But like, that's just a few (laughs) of those things, right? Like God fearing, like I've tried to date an atheist. God didn't make that work for a reason. Uh, <laughs> and oh if he could be thick like Winston <laughs> Winston tall. I'll let your girl and Look, tall like there. I'm tired of them telling me Courtney that oh you gotta give short men a chance no, I don't, God nope. didn't create me to be no damn big spoon I wasn't nope. created to be the bigger I don't, too. yes we do not claim that <laughs> we are standing in agreement that there's tall men out there for yes. for us. So, yes. you know, I'm not as tall as you, but I'm a good five, ten and a half. We're not claiming that. But I will say that between uh the two of us and our circles, it's got to be only like two, three degrees of separation between us and Winston Duke. So somebody out there knows Winston. Somebody Tell knows him to holler at your girl. <laughs> 
I'll make you babies. We've already started the process. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, so hey, Suzette, so Ice Coffee Confessions, it's life through your 30 plus year old lens, 36 to be specific. So we could call it views from the three six, if you will. Yes, ma'am. So what would 36 year old Suzette tell her 26 or 25 year old self? You know, it's funny. My 25 year old self around this time was getting ready to buy a house. I would say, girl, do not buy that damn house in Southwest Atlanta (laughs) because the market is about to crash. (laughs) Well, yeah, I would tell myself not to buy that house. Um, (laughs) But I would say, like, between here and there, there are a lot of no's. And so being okay with no, because no is going to drive you to some pretty unexpected and great places. And it's just like continuing to be open to the process and not latch on to some kind of ideal or some kind of vision for what perfect is because I've benefited from some pretty imperfect decisions and situations. And so um, I'd say that as I grow a whole bunch of stuff has happened between now and then that you never anticipated. And there's a lot more that will happen. And so just continue to trust the process and don't buy that house. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, hey, so Suzette, so for me, so I have been, a uh, full disclosure, I have been heavy for like the last few months on like Oprah Super Soul Sunday. So this is like my moment on Ice Coffee Confessions to get my Oprah on. And she has a segment where she kind of does her rapid fire questions. So I got a few questions. I'm going to just breeze through them. You know, first thing to mind, don't overthink them. Okay. I want you to answer and we're going to end on this note. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. She ready. All right, go ahead, go ahead. She ready. (laughs) Oh, God. Which is a great way to start my first question. What song would be Suzette Robotham's theme song? Satisfy My Soul by Bob Marley. If you could spend one day with any person dead or alive, who would it be? My very first female ancestor. What do you fear? Dogs. Human and (laughs) four-legged. Why do you think people are so drawn to you? It don't take all day to recognize sunshine, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Like a moth to the flame. (laughs) (laughs) What makes you authentic? Because when I wake up in the morning, I'm Suzette. When I go to bed at night, I'm Suzette. And (laughs) throughout all the minutes of that day that I was awake, I was Suzette. So... People know pretty much it is what it is and you're going to get what you're going to get. And I think people have an appreciation for knowing that there is consistency in the person that they're getting. And so I would say that authenticity is pretty linked to consistency around character. And I would say that that's me. All right, Florida girl, Trina or Kaya? Kaya! (laughs) Oh, no! Only because, you know what? That's hard. That's actually a hard one. I love Trina, too. But Kaya, because we from Tampa. <laughs> mm, mm. What do you think God has called you to do? I would say the biggest gift God has given me is connection and connecting people, um, whether it's connecting people to other people, connecting people to their gifts, connecting people to resources. And so connecting people to opportunity. I would just say like connection has been a pretty common thread throughout my life. Um, something that's been a clear gift and a blessing from God. And so. I think he's called me here to connect people to whatever their best life and best selves needs. 
What is some shit you hear all the time about being over 30 that you wish would just die or go away? The 30 is the new 20. Maybe I look younger, but I wouldn't want to be in my 20s again. Like, I was a mess in my 20s, right? Like, I was, I mean, I'm still like a little bit of a wild child, but like, I have so much more discernment and I live a, a much more intentional and purposeful life. And so I would stop calling 30 the new 20. I would say that 30 is an amazing decade of self discovery <laughs> and discovery in a way that you are just much more thoughtful than you are in your 20s. What's one thing you wish people knew about you that they don't? I wish people would let me be shy. I am so shy, especially when it Lies. comes to like men. <laughs> like I would probably meet Winston Duke and be like, <laughs> like <laughs> I am shy. And like, I also am like an introverted extrovert. So like I read as an extrovert, but I actually don't draw my energy from people. And so I actually have to recharge. And so I think that people like think like I just love being around people. It actually takes like mental work. Like I have to jog up hills for like, settings where I have to do a lot of small talk because that's not my lane. Mm. Maya Angelou famously said, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. How do you hope people feel about an encounter with you? Oh man. I hope that people feel like they walked away from someone that genuinely cared and appreciated having the opportunity to interact with them. I think far more times than not, people just sit at and settle for like a shallow encounter. And I'm someone that's always cognizant about really wanting to know how people feel. And if that is the one person for the day that actually, if I'm the one person for the day that actually felt like I genuinely was interested or cared, like I want people to have that interaction and that feeling when they interact with me. Well, Suzette, that concludes my questions. I can truly say, though, that in the time that I've known you, every moment in exchange with you, I leave it filled with more joy and more fulfilled and even more at peace than I did before the conversation or the interaction. So it has been my pleasure again, as I said at the start of this interview, and I will conclude the same. It has been my pleasure and my honor to be the first person (laughs) to conduct the Ask Suzette Anything segment. And that's all I have for this iced coffee confession. Unless you have any final confessions you would like to make. (laughs) I really do love Winston Duke. I just want to put it out there. (laughs) (laughs) I really do love you too, Courtney. Thank you so much for doing this and for helping to continue to power my platform forward. I'm thankful for you and for everyone that listens to us. So thank you. Ooh, that that thinking at the end was a lot, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) We love you, Winston. Love you, Winston. (laughs) Have a great day, y'all. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Iced Coffee Confessions. We'd love to stay in touch with you. You can find us on social media via Facebook at Iced Coffee Confessions or on Instagram at The Real Iced Coffee Confessions. See you soon.